Fatherhood is one of the most common themes and stories throughout the scripture. Some of the most memorable stories from the Bible center around motherhood. From Sarah, Rebecca, Rachel, Leah, Hannah, Ruth, and Mary, and many others. Many other stories center around motherhood. But motherhood isn't just common throughout the Bible, but it's one of the first and principal subjects that the Bible draws us into. As we see the first mother in the Bible, Eve, that her story um, centers around her role as mother. In fact, her name that she's given, Eve, it means uh, living because she was to be the mother of all living. Adam calls her Eve, living after life, after how she would be a means and a source of life that would come thereafter. Motherhood is a subject that brings great joy. It's a joyful thing. It's one of the most wonderful things in the world, one of the greatest blessings that God has given, and that's something that God designed into creation itself. And so it is attended with rejoicing. It is attended with celebration. It is attended with with joy and happiness. But because of the entrance of sin into the world, motherhood is also something that became associated with sorrow, with tragedy, with pain, with difficulty. When God pronounces the curses that were upon humankind and upon the earth because of the entrance of sin, when he speaks to the woman, the consequences of the curse in her life, in her experience, specifically touched on motherhood. It said that God would greatly multiply her conception and her sorrow And it says that in sorrow, she would bring forth children. One aspect of this is the physical pain and the extremity of the physical pain associated with bearing children. But I believe the sorrow, it goes beyond that. The sorrow that attends motherhood takes many forms. And it takes on many different dimensions for a mother something that only a mother would really understand in the heart. But the stories in the Bible reveal to us dimension after dimension of the combination and the intertwining of the joy and the heartbreak of motherhood. We see this in Eve herself, where her first sons that are mentioned, Abel, And Cain, Cain and Abel, is a story itself of how the entrance of sin into the world brings brokenness, tragedy, and heartbreak. And the heartbreak must have been uh, no more intense for anyone than it was for Eve, as she saw in what happened between Cain and Abel, and that tragic experience resulted for her in a, in a sense of the loss of both of her sons in one day. And uh, that, 
the, the sorrow of motherhood isn't just when the sons or the daughters or the children go bad, but it can be heartbreaking and sorrowful even with the greatest of children. For when we come to the story of Mary, the mother of Jesus, and the prophecies are given about what her son would be, what he would accomplish, the great things he would do as he redeemed his nation, and in fact, the world, it says to Mary in the prophecy that it would be a sword to pierce through her own heart as well. Because that sorrow could come as she saw her beloved child unjustly treated by the world and brought into his suffering that she witnessed. And the great love, the, the overflowing love that she had for him would cause her great pain and great sorrow. And so we see in the Bible, the Bible paints us that picture, that realistic, joyful, and painful picture of the complexity of, of motherhood. Well, I want to look at one particular mother, the story of one particular mother in the Bible, and that is a woman who would be named Sarah. Sarah, the wife of Abraham. Sarah's original name came from the land from which she was from, Sarai, and she would later be renamed Sarah. Now, Sarah and Abraham, their story begins in the pages of Genesis where it describes how Abraham was called out of a land called Ur of the Chaldees from a foreign land, the land that was in the kingdom of Babylon. And he was called out of that land, and he was called out from a land where he worshipped the gods of that land, or his fathers worshipped the gods of that land. It would speak later about how at some point in his life, he worshipped those foreign gods. But God, in his appointed time, would speak into Abram's life, and he would call him and he would reveal to him the true God and he would make a great promise to him. That is that he would bring him into a land that he would inherit and that his offspring, his descendants would be like the sand of the sea, like the stars of heaven. And they would inherit that land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and they would be a blessing to all the nations of the world. That Abraham's offspring would be a blessing to all the nations of the world. That is that the promise that God made to Abraham was not just a promise for Abraham, but it was in fact the hope of the world. It was the hope of the whole world because the world at that time had fallen away from the worship of, true, of the true God. And in fact, they were united in their rebellion and opposition to God as encompassed in a story in Genesis about what's known as the Tower of Babel. When all the people of the world were gathered together and they were of one unified mind, that, that is that they were going to build a tower to heaven and they were going to make a name for themselves. So the whole world was united and God scatters them. He confuses their languages and he scatters them throughout all the world and through that is 
comes the nations of this world and the languages of this world that were at that time turned away from God and it would seem to the eye of man that things were in a hopeless condition. Man opposed to God, the nations of the world in a state of darkness, worshiping false gods, worshiping those that were not gods at all. But in that dark situation, God moves in the midst of it. God acts when things appear hopeless and dark. And the way God acts is through, at first, one man, Abraham. And he calls him and he says, go into a land that I'm going to show thee. And Abraham obeys God. He believes God and he goes into this foreign land and he dwells there as a stranger. But Abraham wasn't alone in this. Abraham brought with him his wife, Sarai. She traveled with him into this strange land and they awaited the fulfillment of the promises of God. They, they lived their life in hope of the fulfillment of the promises of God. And I say it that way because they didn't live to see the fulfillment of all the things that God said he was going to do. And we can read over those pages of that story. We could read them in a matter of hours from beginning to end. And we can see everything that happened. And we can read ahead later after the time of Abraham. But think about what it was like for Abram who's he's first called Abram and Sarai, his wife, as they dwell for a year in the promised land. It's promised, but they don't possess it yet. They're dwelling there as strangers among other people. And they're walking throughout the land that God had promised that he would give them, but they have not yet possessed it. And God had promised that he would bless them like their descendants, like the sand of the sea, like the stars of heaven, but they have no children. And they're there for a year. And then they're there for two years. And then they're there for three years and five years and ten years. And the time passes on and they, they dwell in hope. They live in hope, but they do not see their hopes come to pass. And they grow during this time. They grow old. And you can imagine how they must have begun to lose hope. This husband and wife, Abram and Sarai, they must have begun to lose hope that they would ever give birth to a child, let alone become the parents of a great multitude. And so they are allowed by God, in fact, in God's purpose, they are allowed to spend their years as strangers and pilgrims in this strange land, not seeing their hopes materialize before them for a great length of time. That could be an encouragement to us when we find ourselves in this life with hopes disappointed with things that we are waiting for and hoping for, not seeing them come to pass, not seeing them come to their fulfillment. But we can be patient knowing that God in his time will work his perfect work and he will bring it to pass. We have their example. But in the experience of it, it must have been incredibly hard for them. I imagine the phases that they went through. First, great hope. 
They're married. They, they enter into this promised land that God gave them. God has said they're going to have a child and they're going to have many offspring. God gives them new names. He calls Abraham, Abraham from Abram. He calls him Abraham, which means father of a great multitude. He calls Sarai. He renames her. He calls her Sarah, which is princess. And he identifies them as the center of his plan for mankind on earth and his plan for the deliverance and the salvation of the world. But still, they have no child. And perhaps their hope begins to fade. Perhaps they go through times of despair. Perhaps they begin to accept that what they had hoped for will never come to be. And in the midst of that, God, again and again, speaks to them in various ways. In Genesis chapter 17, it records one of these encounters that Abram first had with God. Genesis chapter 17 begins this way. And when Abram was 90 years old and nine, the Lord appeared to Abram and said unto him, I am the almighty God Walk before me, and be thou perfect, and I will make my covenant between me and thee, and I will multiply thee exceedingly. So God appears to Abram. He's at this point, he's 99 years old. We'll find out later. Sarah at this point is 90 years old. Sarah was barren. She was not only barren, but now she was 90 years old. And so the hope of them having children by human or natural standards was completely and utterly gone. It was hopeless. It was hopeless. It was, in human terms, impossible that she would have a child at this point. But later on, in verse 15, it says this, And God said unto Abraham, As for Sarai thy wife, thou shalt not call her name Sarai, but Sarah, shall her name be, and I will bless her, and give thee a son also of her. Yea, I will bless her, and she shall be a mother of nations, kings shall, of people shall be of her. Now that, that is an incredible promise. Imagine what it would be like to be Abraham and Sarah. First, God gives you new names. Abraham, father of a great multitude. Sarah, princess. And he says, kings are going to come from you. Nations are going to come from you. They are going to be people that their offspring, their descendants will uh, reign in this earth. That they they will cover the land and they will be great and mighty people. These are going to be people of great significance. This must have been an incredible promise for Abraham to hear. Except remember... Abraham is 99 and Sarah is 90 years old. And so notice Abraham's response. Then Abraham fell upon his face and laughed and said in his heart, Shall a child be born unto him that is 100 years old? And shall Sarah that is 90 years old bear? Of note here is that in response to God's word to Abraham, God's great promise, Abraham's response is to laugh. And he laughs in unbelief. 
Laughter comes out of us for a variety of reasons, quite a range of reasons. But one of the main causes of laughter in us is something that is so surprising that it just it takes us by surprise and we laugh either, either out of disbelief or out of joy or out of surprise. We, we laugh and, and Abraham here, he laughs because what God had just said was so unbelievable that Abraham couldn't even imagine this being true. Sarah's 90 years old. She was barren. He was 99 and God says, Sarah is going to have a child. So, so we see Abraham here laughs and uh, he, cannot, he cannot believe it. Shall a child be born unto him that is 100 years old? Now, uh, if we turn over to chapter 18, we have another encounter of the Lord with Abraham and with Sarah. I'll start reading at the beginning of this chapter. And the Lord appeared unto him in the plains of Mamre, and he said to the tent, in the, and he sat in the tent door in the heat of the day, and he lifted up his eyes and looked, and lo, three men stood by him, and when he saw them, he ran to meet them from the tent door, and bowed himself toward the ground, and said, My Lord, if now I have found favor in thy sight, pass not away, I pray thee, from thy servant. Let a little water, I pray you, be fetched, and wash your feet, and rest yourselves under the tree. And I will fetch a morsel of bread and comfort ye your hearts. After that ye shall pass on, for therefore are ye come to your servant. And they said, So do as thou hast said. Now, Abraham is there, and he's uh, sitting out there, and, and three visitors come. And we only find out later, as it's revealed, we only find out that these three visitors are, in fact, uh, coming as a messenger from the Lord. In fact, not only a messenger from the Lord, but the Lord comes to Abraham himself and makes himself present there with, with Abraham and speaks to him face to face. The Lord makes an appearance to Abraham here. And Abraham begins to make ready the hospitality. Abraham hastened unto the tent, unto Sarah, and said, Make ready quickly three measures of fine meal, knead it, and make cakes upon the hearth. And Abraham ran unto the herd, and fetched a calf, tender and good, and gave it unto a young man, and he hasted to dress it. And he took butter and milk, and the calf which he had dressed, and set it before them. And he stood by them under the tree, and they did eat. And they said unto him, Where is Sarah thy wife? And he said, Behold, in the tent. Now, Abraham makes all the hospitality ready. He serves them their food, they're eating, they're sitting together. And now, the Lord begins to speak to Abraham. First, where's Sarah? Where's Sarah, your wife? Because the promises that God had made to Abraham, the center of the, the heart of those promises, how God would fulfill those very things would be through the instrumentality of not only Abraham himself, but also his wife Sarah, and in particularly through motherhood. Now this is actually in keeping with a theme that goes all the way back to Genesis. Remember again the story of Eve 
and the curse that came on and how uh, the curse as it affected women in this world affected in particular motherhood. But not only that, but God had announced in the curse because he said that, that the seed of the woman, the offspring of the woman would crush the head of the devil. We learn also that in fact through motherhood would come the defeat of evil in this world as well. The, the overthrow of the devil and his power would also come through the means of motherhood. And so here we see that they ask for Sarah. Where is Sarah? They're about to make an announcement about her. Remember before God had already told Abraham this, but God often tells us his promises again. He sometimes reiterates them. We must be reminded of them. They must at times be renewed because we forget or we need the added encouragement. Or perhaps it is also for our sakes that these things are happening and occurring so that we can see God's faithfulness in accomplishing his promises, in fulfilling his plan. Because this isn't just, remember, about Abraham and Sarah, but it's about the salvation of the world through them and through their son that they would have, through their child. And he said, verse 10, And he said, I will certainly return unto thee according to the time of life, and lo, Sarah thy wife shall have a son. And Sarah heard it in the tent door which was behind him. So here's the picture that's being painted for us, is being described. Abraham is with the guests. They're speaking to him. We'll find out that in fact they are messengers of the Lord. There's perhaps, uh, it seems, two angels and the Lord himself appearing to Abraham in bodily form and they're speaking with him there and they're talking and as they're speaking with Abraham, they say, your wife Sarah, she's going to have a son. And Sarah, she's in the other tent nearby. She's right nearby, close enough to hear and she overhears it and it describes her reaction. You can imagine. How, how must that have felt to her? What, must, what kind of message that, must that have seemed like to hear someone say this? Now Abraham and Sarah were old and well stricken in age. And it ceased to be with Sarah after the manner of women. So we're reminded of this again here of their condition. They're old. They're well stricken in age. It ceased to be with her after the manner of woman. So she's, she's past childbearing years. She was barren nonetheless. And now she hears this announcement. And so it says, Then Sarah, therefore Sarah laughed within herself, saying, After I am waxed old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord being old also? And so she also, her reaction is to laugh. She cannot believe what is being said. She cannot, uh, it's so unbelievable to her that she here laughs at the announcement. And the Lord said unto Abraham, Wherefore did Sarah laugh, saying, Shall I of a surety bear a child which am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the time appointed I will return unto thee according to the time of life, and Sarah shall have a son. Then Sarah denied, saying, I laugh not, for she was afraid. And he said, Nay, but thou didst laugh. So here, Sarah is now confronted. God says, why, why did she laugh? 
Why did she laugh? Well, you know, we, we can imagine why she would have laughed. It seemed unbelievable that she would bear a, that she would conceive. It seemed unbelievable that she would bear a son. It, it's so uh, absurd to the human mind that it must have been uh, funny to her or ridiculous to her that she, at her age, beyond the childbearing years, and barren, that she would give birth to a son. But God's response is something that we ought to never forget. No matter what kind of impossible situation we face, no matter how hopeless things are in human terms, is anything too hard for the Lord? Is anything too hard for the Lord? God is able to do anything. And in fact, in fact, the pattern that we see play out again and again in the stories of the Bible is that God seems to prefer to do his greatest work in situations where it is utterly impossible with man so that we would see that what is impossible for us is possible with God. So that we would be left with no doubt that it was only by the power of God that his purpose was accomplished. You think it was an accident that God waited until Abraham was 99 and Sarah was 90 years old before he came to fulfill his promise to them, it was no accident. It was not a mere a coincidence or happenstance. It was in accordance with the purpose and the character of God that he was through that demonstrating and strengthening their faith and our faith in the power of God by showing us that God is able to bring life from the dead. That God is able to do, the, to do what is with us impossible because what is impossible with man is possible with God. So that we would know, that we would know without doubt that all things are possible with God. We would know without doubt that when God has promised, He will surely bring it to pass that we would have hope, that we would know that God is able to do what he has promised. Well, now we've seen this response. I love the way that this carries through. We see the response of both Abraham and Sarah when they hear this announcement. Of both of them, they laugh, and they laugh in disbelief. They laugh because it's unimaginable. But when we come to chapter 21 of Genesis, we see the fulfillment of this promise. We see that what God has said he was going to do, he finally does. What God had promised that they could not believe, God at last brings to pass. And now the mood is changed. Now the, the way that this unfolds is, is no longer a disbelief at what God has promised. It's no longer a, a, a surprise that God has said something that seems so outlandish. But it is in fact now a cause of joy and celebration. In, in Genesis chapter 21, And the Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did unto Sarah 
as he had spoken. And Sarah conceived and bare Abraham a son in his old age at the set time of which God had spoken to him. And Abraham called the name of his son that was born unto him, whom Sarah bare to him, Isaac. And the name Isaac, it means, it means laughter. Isaac means laughter, to laugh. And uh, when we think back to how they responded at the announcement of it, we see laughter, but we also see laughter here as well. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac, being eight days old, as God had commanded him. And Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born unto him. Abraham's a hundred years old now. Now, they lived long time then, but, but by then, lifespans were coming to more normal terms. This was old. This was quite old at this time. And Abraham and Sarah... They have a son, Isaac, laughter, their, their child that uh, makes them laugh when they, when they see the fulfillment of God's promises. Notice what Sarah says. And Sarah said, God hath made me to laugh so that all that hear will laugh with me. Jesus said something once. He said, blessed are they that weep now for they shall laugh. Often in our life, we experience sorrow and suffering. But God, in his purposes, has intended to turn these things around. Blessed are they that mourn, he says in another place, for they shall be comforted. And he says, blessed are they that weep now, for they shall laugh. And so it was with Sarah. She must have grieved many years over her barrenness. She must have grieved many years that she had no child, that she could not give to her husband the thing that he hoped for and looked for and and waited expectantly for. She must have grieved that she uh, didn't see that she would have offspring to carry on her legacy in this world. But now she who had mourned, she who had once laughed in disbelief at the absurdity of what of what it seemed like God was saying, now laughed with joy. God made her laugh. She said, God hath made me to laugh so that all that hear will laugh with me. And she said, who would have said unto Abraham that Sarah should have given children suck? For I have borne him a son in his old age. And the child grew and was weaned. And Abraham made a great feast the same day that Isaac was weaned. In Psalm 126, this psalm speaks about how God is able to turn the experience of the sorrows of this life into into great joy. Psalm, uh, Psalm 126, Psalm 126. When the Lord turned again the captivity of Zion, we were like them that dream. Then was our mouth filled with laughter and our tongue with singing. Then said they among the heathen, the Lord hath done great things for them. The Lord hath done done great things for us, whereof we are glad. Turn again our captivity, O Lord, as the streams in the south. 
They that sow in tears shall reap in joy. He that goeth forth and weepeth, and weepeth, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless come again, and rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. Then, verse 2, then it says, Then our mouth was filled with laughter, and our tongue was singing. Then said they among the heathen, The Lord hath done great things for them. The Lord hath done great things for his people. And this child that was born, Isaac, he was called a child of promise. Because he was the one that came not by the power of man, not by even what would have been possible by natural means, but in fulfillment of the promise of God. But though he, in fact, was the child of promise, he was not the ultimate fulfillment of that promise. But in fact, he was one in a long chain that would lead to another child that would be born. Many generations later, another woman would enter into the story in the Bible, a young virgin named Mary, who would conceive in an even more miraculous way, because she as a virgin who had never known a man would conceive and give birth to a son, and that son, in that son, who they would call Jesus, there at last the fulfillment, the fullness of all that God had promised would be brought to its completion, brought to its fulfillment. The promise that God had made to Abraham all those generations before when he said, in thee, in thy seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. See, this was, this was God's plan moving along through history, through each phase and through each stage, uh, in God's perfect timing, coming to its fulfillment at last, in the child that Mary would give birth to, who they would call Jesus, which means that Jehovah is salvation. Because he, it says, shall save his people from their sins. God's plan at last to redeem his people from every nation, from every tribe, from every tongue in this world would find its fulfillment in the man, Jesus. That man who would be given birth to by Mary, a woman, a virgin, a miraculous birth. Again, demonstrating again and again and again how God is able and willing to do the impossible to accomplish the salvation, the deliverance of his people. Let us pray. Our dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for sending your son, Jesus, into this world to redeem your people by offering himself as a sacrifice for our sin and that his name is called Jesus because he shall save his people from their sin. God, we thank you for the gift of motherhood, the blessing that it is to all of us, to all humankind. I thank you for the mothers, and I thank you, God, for your work in their lives, that even in the midst of the joys, the sorrows woven together, the heartbreak and the celebration and the rejoicing that is all 
woven together in motherhood. I pray, God, that you might bless them, that you might uphold them, that you might strengthen them. We thank you for the gift that they are and the gift that you brought into the world through that to bring your son, Jesus, in the fullness of time, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem those that all our lives were subject unto bondage. We thank you, God, for that great gift that we have. God, we thank you that today we know that you are a God that is able to do the impossible. That when our lives and our circumstances seem hopeless, when we grow weary and, and despair of the fulfillment of what you've promised, we can be reminded that nothing is too hard for the Lord. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.